Um, so this week, I'm supposed to finish, but it, as well, I can't finish. I'm just going to sort of like lean forward and give you some pointers to take the Power to Change series forward. Like it's not closed, okay? It's not done. Um, but just a few pointers. Um, but, but first of all, just I don't know if there are any survivors from last week's camp who are here. Any? any oh, there you go. Four. Okay. Well done, team. Well done. Well done. Um, well done, Shan. And then Cindy. I've just got to give a shout out to Cindy. I mean, and Paul will tell you. She had to put up with me for the whole weekend while I had allergies. And so <laughs> that was probably the hardest part of the whole weekend. Um, but what, what an amazing time to just hang out with those young people, uh, our young people. Uh, kind of see them in their natural habitat. I, I don't mean trees and grass. Um, just in their social space. Uh, so often we end up being the spaces that we've organized, and it's so great to be in their space. So, yeah, really great. So a couple of weeks ago, we saw in 2 Corinthians 3 from verse 12 to uh, 11 that transformation comes from encounters with the Lord who is the Spirit. Remember 2 Corinthians and uh, now the Lord is the Spirit. We all with unveiled faces contemplate, look at, see, reflect the Lord's glory uh, are changed from glory to glory or one degree of glory to the next. And this change, this transformation, metamorphosis, comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And, uh, and that's a reality that is in addition to, complementary to, and yet transcends renewing your mind. So renewing your mind is hard work. You get the disciplines, you do the study, you do all that. But somehow it's also part of renewing your mind because it just helps you think at another level, listen at another level. So today, I want to give you some pointers as we look forward rather than, this is not closing off the, the thoughts. It's almost like saying, well, yes, some pointers, why don't you go and, and do a little bit more work on them? Um, and there are several readings, so there's not one single reading that we can ask someone to come and read. So number one, pointer number one, part of the power to change lies in subverting the alien powers around us. That's why this morning's worship was just so great. Well done, team. And I, they did not know that, I did not know on Friday that I was preaching this. I, I really struggled to come up with the sermon series. So its final format came this morning from four until about half past six. So they had no idea when they chose this. And so I was just sitting there listening to the song selections and just going, Jesus, how did... They know. <laughs> um, and uh, it was just great. Part of the power to change, it's not the only thing. We've, looked, we've seen many things. Part of the power to change lies in subverting the alien powers around us. There's always more going on than meets the eye in life. There are spiritual forces, powers, principalities, actively resisting you when you would like to change or even bring change. Change in your own life, change in an environment around you. So let me give you two examples. What do I mean by these powers? Example A, Cain in Genesis 4 is angry and depressed because of his growing bitterness to his brother Abel. 
God comes to warn him that something much bigger is going on. So we read in verse 6 of Genesis 4. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast, literally depressed? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, here's the warning, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. God has just come. God's just come to him. Goes into the field, like draws his brother there, and in that place where he thinks no one's watching, kills his brother. Miroslav Volf, a man who lost friends and family during the atrocities of the Serbian-Croatian conflict in Sarajevo in the 1990s, comments on these verses out of personal experience. He says, to commit sin is not simply to make a wrong choice. To commit sin is to succumb to an evil power. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires you wants to own you, control you, direct. To commit sin is to succumb to an evil power. And so sin is not just the harm caused, it's the power released. Intelligent evil. And in Genesis 3, we saw this was Satan, the devil, the accuser. In that place, coming as a serpent. Now he's found human agency. Cain is literally doing his work. He's opened up. Sin's got a way in to gain influence through him. Sin changes the atmosphere, the environment in the place. Why? Because these powers want dominion and they want possession. And they will do the same in us and they'll do the same in people around us. Example B. You all know the Herodians, don't you? They were people basically, well, let me read Mark chapter 3 from verse 1. Another time, Jesus went to the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. And some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal the man on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Now this guy stands up. Jesus asks them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent, in a sense is like sulking, the aggro in the room. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts because there's something going on in the room that's so harmful, so destructive, so toxic. And he says to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. This is right Near the beginning of the Gospels, meet them later again, they come, 
the Herodians and the Pharisees still in this alliance, and they start asking questions about Jesus, trying to trap him, questions about tax and questions about this and that. And they, they're trying to trap him in terms of allegiance either to the law or to Caesar. You see, for the Pharisees and the Herodians to conspire together was quite remarkable, actually, to oversimplify, because you know, it was complicated, a bit like South Africa, complicated. The Pharisees resented Rome, but negotiated a limited freedom to exclusively worship the Lord, and so the Jews did not have to bow to Caesar and offer incense to Caesar and say, Caesar is Lord. That was the deal they had. As long as Rome had all the other power, they had that power. But the Herodians were different. They supported the person and the policies of the Jewish king who was King Herod, hence their name, the Herodians. And they advocated partnering with the power of Rome. So they actively enabled Rome's dominion and empire to impose the will on its people and control the people. They were like the puppets, one step below the emperor's power or two or three steps, depending on how many generals he had in between. But essentially, they were the insiders who allowed outsiders to rule. Get that? The Herodians were the insiders who allowed the outsiders to rule. Rome rewarded them with limited powers and benefits, including some control of their own people. And their historical picture or illustration of the spiritual realities Cain was warned about. You see, there's always going to be people partnering with the one who is not Lord. Always going to be people partnering. And when that partnership is in place, that influence and that power is then being delivered into whatever environment is in that space. See, part of the power to change then is in subverting the powers that the people around us are activating because they're operating in the same kinds of things that Cain was in. Cain was in anger. Cain was in bitterness. Cain was divided from people. Cain didn't want to listen. Cain is depressed and anxious the enemy wants insiders, humans, now we've taken the whole human race. The enemy wants insiders who will allow the outsiders, the demonic, to rule. And whenever people sort of like make that kind of deal, and it doesn't have to be conscious, doesn't have to be sell your soul to the devil. You just have to do his kind of stuff. I mean, the Herodians thought they were... They were actually fine. So bringing change is never simply about willpower. It's about subverting powers. And so we must recognize who are the powers I am partnering with all the time. <laughs> who's gaining influence? Who's getting traction? Who are the powers I'm partnering with? And in contrast to the Herodians who plot against Jesus, we look at Jesus on that Sabbath day and we say, do good. 
Is it lawful to do good? Is it lawful to heal? We say, heal Jesus. Jesus, do you favor? Jesus, minister. Jesus, set free. Jesus, heal. Jesus, speak truth. We say yes to Jesus. We say yes to his ministry. We say yes to his way. And when we say yes to him, we say yes to the power of his spirit. Yes to the environment his spirit creates. Yes to the leadership and governance and kingdom of the spirit of Jesus in us. Point to number one, part of the power to change lies in subverting the alien powers around us. Point number two, this means you want to actively submit to and align with the spirit of Jesus. Like there's this other stuff, this other spirit that you want to actively align with, submit to the spirit of Jesus. Zechariah 4 verse 6 famously, this is what God says, not by might nor by power but by my spirit, declares the Lord. Now, I could use literally hundreds of examples of what this looks like to be in the spirit, to have the spirit determining the environment, the atmosphere, the space you're in, the mindset, and, and most of them directly from the person of Jesus. When you see him come up against the powers and how he brings what a different spirit. And he displaces the powers through a power encounter, but never by fighting their way. Never becomes like them to oppose them. But you know, in Luke 2 verse 27, there's an elderly prophetic New Testament figure called Simeon. And we read that he comes to an exact time and place in the temple because he was in the spirit. How does that work? He's praying and he senses, now, get up, Simeon, go. Get to the temple. And, and so we read, and he came in the spirit into the temple. Simeon arrives and he's like paying full attention, moved by the spirit in that sense. And when the parents of Jesus, Mary and Joseph, brought the child Jesus to carry him in there as the custom of the law, he begins to speak and he begins to prophesy. Now notice this. There's this guy and he's in the spirit. Now we've seen in the spirit. We've seen, you know, Jesus said, we'll worship in spirit and truth. We've seen Paul in the spirit understand things. We've seen John on the island of Patmos in the spirit encountering God. To do something in the spirit like Simeon is to yield to the leadership, power, direction, motivation, and outcomes of the Holy Spirit. You yield, give yourself to the leadership, to the direction, to the power, to the motivation, to the outcomes of the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul talks about praying in the Spirit in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18. And by the way, that's in the context of the powers. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, the armor of God and you know, be strong in the Lord in his mighty strength. Don't let the enemy deceive you. He's got methods and strategies. This is what you're going to come against. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. And he urges us, after putting on all the armor of God, which is ultimately God himself, to pray in the spirit. 
Now remember, being in the spirit, you're yielding leadership, direction, motivation, power, outcome. So praying in the spirit is to meet the person of God through the Holy Spirit. We saw that a couple of weeks ago. I'm not going to go there, but that's radical enough, okay? Literally for glory. You enter into and you engage the realm of God himself. And let the realm and the rule of God come to us and through us. And then we yield our praying itself. Everything about it, its form, its content, its motivation, its triggers, everything about it. To the leadership, direction, power, motivation, and outcomes of the Holy Spirit. Now, why is this important? Because so often our praying is built on what we're thinking, what we're worrying about, what we're wanting, what we're struggling with. And that, like, we come from this spiritual environment, and it's put a whole lot of stuff on us, and we really need God to do some work. So we take our request, but we also take all that anxiety, all that fear and everything, and we baptize it into Jesus because we pray our fear and anxiety and anger and then we say in Jesus name is that going to help you're in the wrong spirit like there is bad prayer like someone says no such thing as bad prayer. yes there is Jesus Jesus you know the, the prophets Isaiah says shut up stop praying you don't even love me I'm like sick of all your songs and prayers. Jesus says your father doesn't need lots of words where you babble and babble and babble. They're bad ways of praying. And there's a wrong spirit in which to pray. Now, we don't want to be dishonest and fake this. This is not the point. We want to be brutally honest and understand what's going on. So how do we pray in the spirit? Well, the one thing we don't want to do is to bring the spirit that the enemy's operating in. We don't want fear or bitterness or anger or worry or anxiety or lust or envy or jealousy or hurt to become the engine. It may become the trigger, but it can't be the engine and it can't be the spirit in which we pray. You literally got to find the spirit of Jesus to pray that. You're going to pray as if your heart is like the heart of Jesus. Is this helping you? Help me. Like it helped me sort out a lot of my prayer, which was just like worrying in Jesus' name or blaming in Jesus' name or shaming in Jesus' name. We don't want to be partnering with fear or conspiracy or prejudice or insecurity or anxiety. Least of all, when we pray, we want a different spirit. That's what Mark, Caleb, and Joshua, remember Joshua used to spend all the time in the tent of meeting with the presence of the Lord. Moses would go in and out, and everybody else would watch. And where was Josh? He stayed, and he ended up with a different spirit. So in the same way that in a conversation with another human would introduce thoughts, ideas, and emotions that are not your own, so too when we meet with the person of the Holy Spirit as we pray, 
we begin to get thoughts, ideas, words, and that that are literally not our own. And you think to yourself, how? Where did that come from? There's Holy Spirit praying with you, praying through you. So remember Cain, his anger, bitterness, deceit, self-pity, and depression. And then compare that, for example, with Galatians 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and probably as important as any of them, self-leadership, self-control. That's what the Holy Spirit produces. And so the vibe, the atmosphere, the spirit is different when the spirit of Jesus is leading you. Because the spirit of Jesus is displacing the powers, the fear, the anxiety, the worry. Now you've got to be really honest about it. And we nail that stuff to the cross and we say, I'm breaking agreements with you. I don't want you in my space, which takes us to point number three. You see, Galatians 5, against the fruit of the Spirit, Paul says, there is no law. Or you can't write laws for this, is another way of translating that. It's like it just surpasses the law. Jesus says, Matthew 5, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the scribes and the teachers, you will never get into heaven. In other words, there's a surpassing Goodness, that the law can't actually even legislate. The law is powerless to deliver that. And then it says, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh, in other words, the natural self, with its passions and desires. And so since we live by the Spirit, let's now keep in step with the Spirit. Point one, power to change, subvert the alien powers. Point number two, submit to, align with the spirit, the heart of Jesus. Point number three, at the heart of change is God's grace through the power of the cross. Colossians chapter two says this, verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. You were dead and he's raised you to life. Not only this, he forgave all our sins. This, the, the Abels we've murdered, the spirits that we partnered with, all that stuff that we opened up, God forgives it, having canceled the charge of our legal liabilities or indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, verse 15, he's made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. See, the power to change is a gift from God. We've had that since week one. Made possible because of the cross, where Jesus defeats the powers that I have partnered with and submitted to. That's what it cost Jesus. Literally to break that power. It's permission and it's right to occupy and control. One of the reasons he went to the cross was not just to die for my sinners, but was to break the hold that the enemy gains. 
So Cain sins, Craig sins, and opens the door. The enemy comes in. He starts his rule and dominion. Jesus goes to the cross. He pays for that sin. He grabs that door and says, oh, no, you don't. And he closes that door of that access and that power. He cancels the contract. He denies them the right to occupy. be willing to go with Jesus to his cross and let my flesh die there. See, if I'm going to keep living for myself and my anger and my insecurity and my depression and all the rest of it, I'm going to keep the stuff alive. I need to be willing to go with Jesus to the cross. See, verse 20 of Galatians 2 says that this, um, sorry, Colossians 2. Since you have died with Christ to the elemental, the basic spiritual forces at work in the world. The way they lose their control over you is you go with Jesus and you say no to the life where you live for yourself. And you say yes to the life where you live by his spirit, by his word and by his truth. Does that make sense? You're not going to get that triumph if you keep those old things alive. The power to change includes this, that the old me, the old me that looks and sounds like Cain, that partnered with the powers that I thought, that I partnered with, that I was to get some kind of advantage. That me goes to the cross and dies so that a new me might be born and live. You see, <laughs> that's the mystery of the cross. The powers have no defense against someone who's willing to go to a cross and die. <laughs> that's the mystery of the cross. That's the thing the devil couldn't understand. If he knew what he was doing, says Paul, he'd never have crucified him. The devil has no strategy, no defense against someone who's willing in love to go to a cross and die. So he's got no strategy against Jesus. But if you want to share that victory, you say, Jesus, I'm coming to you. My old me, my angry me, my controlling me, my accusing and shaming me. and die. And that guilty me, my legal indebtedness, goes into Jesus. He takes it and he soaks it up and he pays for it. And he says, now you can live. The enemy will always be defeated because in the willingness and obedience of the cross is the spirit of Jesus, the indestructible spirit of Jesus. The enemy will always be defeated because in the willingness to go to the cross is the heart and the spirit 
we come to the communion table. Maybe worship team, you can come and join me. But we're going to take a bit of time preparing to get here. who are serving communion, I'll call you up in a minute, but I think we just want to make some time. We said we're going to open up for ministry. There's freedom, breakthrough. Jesus said, remember me. This cup, well, it's a new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, remember me. So take a moment to say, Jesus, right now. all the odds on that cross carrying my shame carrying my liability Jesus I remember you Jesus I remember your cross take a moment Jesus, I remember your grace. How you fought for that. Not with a sword, but in word and in act. I remember your grace. Why don't you just let grace come? Just, just in your heart to say, Jesus, I'm, I'm opening wide. While I was dead in transgressions, while I was still stifled in the flesh, you came and made me alive again. Let grace come. forgiveness come.
when you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal liability, which stood against us, condemned us. He has taken it away. He's nailed it to the cross. He's disarmed the powers. He's disarmed the authorities. He's made a spectacle of them. He's triumphed over them on the cross.